Nobody knows it's you in control of the hymns. What does that mean? I just let, I think my favorite part is just watching the horror on Kay's face when it doesn't move, and she's like, <laughs> it's the, the little head comes above the monitor, and she goes, don't look at me, I'm down here. I only know the first line of the first verse, so I've, after that, I've had it. So if you don't move it on after that, I'm done. And uh, unless Brother Andrew's here, then we can all follow him. All right, um, if you have your Bibles, you turn to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9. Um, we started a series a couple of weeks ago with what's going on in the Middle East at the moment. Um, we started a series a few weeks ago called God's Timetable for the World. And we're looking at the feasts of Israel. These seven feasts of Israel, four took place in the spring, and that was Passover, um, unleavened bread, um, first fruits, and Pentecost, or weeks. Um, they were the spring feasts, and those spring feasts were um, designed to remember coming out of Egypt. Uh, it was to remember uh, the giving of the Lord and the offering of the best, and it was um, to celebrate the second harvest as well, um, not the, uh, the barley harvest, but the, not the wheat harvest. I can't remember which one. Not the barley harvest, but the wheat harvest. Um, and um, they were fulfilled at Christ's first coming. So Passover was fulfilled at Christ's death. Unleavened bread was fulfilled at his burial. First fruits was fulfilled at his resurrection. And then um, Pentecost, or weeks, was fulfilled at the giving of the Holy Spirit. So you might say, well, what has this got to do with God's timetable? Well, there's a gap. There's a gap between the spring feasts, which were fulfilled at Christ's first coming, and the autumn feasts, which are Day of Atonement, um, Trumpets, and Tabernacles or trumpets, David told me, tabernacles. And they will be fulfilled at Christ's second coming. But between his first coming and his second coming, there is a gap. We are living in that gap today. Um, Christ hasn't returned yet. Um, so we're going to look at um, Isaiah 9 uh, by way of um, introduction. Uh, and we're going to look at uh, uh, some, some things in, in relation to how uh, it's important about what God is doing today, right now. So this is a verse that we normally quote Christmas time. And you can probably um, sort of quote it. Uh, you could certainly quote verse 6. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And that's normally where we stop at Christmas time. But then it says in verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Father, we thank you again for this day, time together, and for this opportunity to come around you. A word, Lord, we just prayed you would speak to our hearts tonight, Father. We pray that we would take encouragement from your word. We can look at the world, we can look at the hatred, we can look at the wars, we can look at uh, all the kind of uh, wickedness that goes on around us, and we can become discouraged. 
But Father, when we look at your word and we recognize that there is a timetable, uh, there is a, a plan uh, to uh, the, the fruition of, of this world, that one day the Lord Jesus Christ will indeed return and set up a perfect government upon this earth. And Father, we just pray that you'd help us to realize that you are a God that has all things in control and you are a God of order. So help us to understand that order so that we don't become disheartened and discouraged when we look at what's going on around us, but we turn our eyes and fix them firmly upon the Lord Jesus Christ in anticipation of his return. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now here's the thing. Um, the kingdom of God is a central theme throughout all scriptures. Dr. Bright says this, the concept of the kingdom of God involves, in a real sense, the total message of the Bible. The Old and New Testament thus stand together as the two acts of a single drama. Act 1 points to its conclusion in Act 2, and without it, the play is an incomplete and satisfying thing. But Act 2 must be read in the light of Act 1, else its meaning will be missed, for the play is originally one. The Bible is one book. Had we to give that book a title, we might with justice call it the book of the coming kingdom of God. Here is the thing. You know, we look at what's going on in the, in the world today, and we have to understand what God's plan and what God's purpose is in relation to this small nation of Israel. A lot of people today, and a lot of people in the church, they will say that God has done away with Israel, and that the church has replaced Israel. Uh, and that's just not the case. When we think like that, then our understanding of the Bible becomes skewed. Our application of the Bible then becomes difficult, because what we're doing is we're making something that God has said in a literal sense, and we're allegorizing it to make it mean something else. So what we're going to look at, this is something uh, we looked at, I think, back in 2021. I did a series on a Wednesday night about the Millennium Kingdom. Um, and what we're going to look at to, tonight, again, we're going to do the same, the same things. What has God done? What did Christ do? What should we be doing? So what has God done with this gap? This gap between the first feasts, the spring feasts being completed at Christ's first come in, and the autumn feast, which will be completed at Christ's second coming. So what has God done? Now then, in order to understand that, we need to recognize that God is a God of order. Now I realize that people, when they read the Bible, say, I don't like reading the Bible because it's not in order. It doesn't make sense. Why is that book there when that event happened after? You know, why is Nehemiah and, and Ezra before Psalms and Proverbs when they actually took place after the events of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and why is it before that? And I know people can get a little bit kind of frustrated and well, why is it there? Um, but God is still a God of order. Just because we've put books in a different order it doesn't mean that God didn't know what he was doing. And when you read the scripture in its entirety, you see that it flows perfectly. You know, people say, well, why, why is, is, is there second kings and the events recorded in second kings and the same event happens in two chronicles because he's looking at it from a different viewpoint. Second kings looks at things from man's point of view and normally focuses on the northern kingdom of Israel 
And yet Chronicles looks at things through God's point of view and has a tendency to focus on the southern kingdom of Judah. So it's all done for a purpose. God is a God of order. We need to understand that first and foremost. God is not somebody that chops and changes his mind. You know, it, it, it amazes me how quickly um, people change their view of things. Um, you know, for those of you who used to wear what was known as flares, at a certain point, people said, oh, mate, that's so dated, oh, that's so out, oh, oh that's, that's so old-fashioned. And then they were the rage again. And then you went from flares to skinny jeans. And you're like, why are skinny jeans a thing? Now we just got used to flares and bell bottoms. And then that all changes again. And then we're back to flares again. Now apparently in this day and age. But people chop and change their minds all the time. Ooh, women are the worst. They just... Anyway, the Bible says... But I want us to understand this. God is a God of order. I don't know if Andrew was saying to Charlotte, no, you're not, Lev, or whether he was saying, yes, you are, Lev. We find out after. We need to understand that God is a God of order. Okay, so what he did in the Old Testament, he made some covenants. That's what God has done. He made covenants. And there were three sets of covenants. There was... The covenants made in Eden and, you know, before the flood. So we call it the Edenic covenant, the Adamic covenant, and the Noahic covenant. Then there were covenants made to Abraham, Moses, and David. And then there's a, a new covenant. So uh, these covenants are two types. Some of the covenants are conditional. So they say, if you do this then I'll do this. That's what God says to, to man. He says, if you do this, then I'll do this. As long as you do this, I'll bless you. They are conditional covenants. Um, God has made a proposal to man. If man follows that formula, God says, I will, if you will obey. If man follows that formula, then they will be blessed. If they don't follow that formula, then there is the possibility of punishment. So they are conditional covenants. God says, if you do this, I'll do this. Then there are unconditional covenants. An unconditional covenant is basically where God says, I am going to do this no matter what. That's unconditional. You know the unconditional love that God has for us? He loves us despite us. He loves us even if we fail him. He loves us even though we sin. He loves us even though the world still rejects him. He loves us. That's unconditional love. I have unconditional love for my kids. I have conditional love for other people's kids. I love my kids no matter what, even when they play up. Somebody else's kids play up and I'm like, mm, bad parenting. God has unconditional Love for us. So there are unconditional covenants. And what that means is, is that God says, I will do this no matter what happens. It doesn't matter whether you obey my law. It doesn't matter whether you follow my word. It doesn't matter what you do. This is something that I am going to do. So out of the eight covenants that God made, five of those eight covenants were made exclusively with Israel. 
whilst the others were made um, with mankind in general. Only one of the five covenants made with Israel is conditional, and that's the Mosaic covenant. The other four covenants with Israel are all unconditional. The Abrahamic covenant, the land covenant, the Davidic covenant, and the new covenant are unconditional. There's a few things we need to understand. Now, I I know this is a lot of information, and you might think, well, this is not a normal Sunday service, but I am trying to kind of set the scene of what God did so we can understand what Christ has done and what's happening in this period between the spring feast and the autumn feast, and then we can apply that to us to see what we should be doing in light of this information. So four things are noted about the nature of the unconditional covenants made with Israel. They are literal. They are literal covenants. They are not to be interpreted allegorically. We're not to turn around and say, oh yeah, well maybe God meant this. Well, maybe when he was saying Israel, he actually meant the church. And that's not the case. These are literal covenants and therefore their contents must be interpreted literally. Secondly, the covenants that God made with Israel are eternal. They are not affected by time. God didn't say, right, Israel, I'm going to make this covenant with you, but you've only got so many days to, uh, and, until it expires. There's no expiry date on it. God didn't say, I'll make this covenant with you, but as soon as you reject my son, that's it. All bets are off. That's not what God said. These covenants are literal, and they are eternal. And thirdly, um, it's, uh, we need to realize that these unconditional covenants were not done away with because of Israel's disobedience. If they were to be done away with because of Israel's disobedience, they'd have finished before they even got to the promised land. You know, the covenant that God made with Abraham to make his seed as many as the stars of the sky, and the covenant that God made uh, with with Moses, uh, the Lord would have said before they even got to the promised land, you know what, forget it, never mind. I've made a mistake. But God doesn't make mistakes. God made these covenants with Israel, and they were made with a specific people. This is a point that Paul emphasizes. Romans 9, 40 says, Who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth adoption, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises. That passage points that these covenants were made with the covenanted people, and are Israel's possession. Again, in Ephesians 2, we see, Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at the time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So five of these eight covenants were made to Israel. Um, the, the Adanic covenant, and I, and I don't want to go into these in, in too much detail, but the Adanic covenant was made in, in Genesis. Um, this covenant was drawn up with man who was in a state of innocence, and it governed the conditions of life in the Garden of Eden. Here's the thing, uh, and I, I, I don't want to get into dispensationalism, but the dispensations kind of go along 
with the covenants as well, but we might cover dispensations at another time. So here's the thing. We, um, we need governance. As a people, um, we, we can't just kind of do things on our own because my view of, of right and wrong might be slightly different to your view of right and wrong. Um, and and we'll, we'll go to um, driving a car. I might view that it's probably better to drive at a certain mile an hour um, up this stretch of road, while some of you with a heavier right foot might think, we don't want to do that. We want to go at our own speed. Um, so to govern ourselves, we, we would probably end up getting in a bit of a mess. When a nation formed, you look at America as a prime example, and he formed a couple of hundred years ago. The first thing they did is they had a constitution, um, they set out a declaration of independence, and, they, and then in their constitution they said, right, this is how we are to govern. Um, these are the laws that are to be made. This is how people are to live and to act and to, you know, to be able to live together in harmony in order to pursue happiness and to, you know, to live in a free and just society. Well, God is a God of order. So in Eden, before anything happened, you know, when Adam and Eve were first created, God said in the Edenic covenant to Adam and Eve, this is how you are to live. This is your covenant. Um, and that was drawn up in a state of innocence, and it governed life in the Garden of Eden. Well, then we know Adam and Eve fell. Sin came into the world. So then uh, in Genesis 3, and uh, uh, from verse 14 to 19, and we'll be aware that in there is verse 15, and we're quite aware of what Genesis 3:15 is, but that is the Adamic covenant. And that there, the Adamic covenant, controlled man's life on earth, after the fall. So God dealt with man differently during the age of innocence, and this is where dispensation comes in, dealt with him differently in the age of innocence as he did after the fall. So God says to Adam, right, this is how I'm going to govern things now after the fall. Uh, and the, 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 this condition on earth will prevail right up until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Um, then we have uh, the Noahic covenant. Um, and this was given, obviously, after uh, the flood, when Noah and his family emerged from the ark to face the new world. Um, they had the opportunity to start the human race uh, and have a fresh start. So God entered a, a contractual arrangement with the human race, not just with Israel, with the human race. And the Noahic covenant was, give, was given to govern man's relationship to God after the flood. Well, we know then that after the flood, you had the, uh, the Tower of Babel, you had the nation scatter, and then um, God calls a man by the name of Abraham. And he calls him to leave Ur of the Chaldees, and he says, I'm going to take you to a land that I will show you. And then he makes the Abrahamic covenant. Now, there are many instances in the book of Genesis where God visits with Abraham. And the underlying theme of this is promise. Um, God kept coming down to earth and added more and more to the initial promise. The covenant established the fact that the awaited Messiah. Remember now, go back to Genesis 3.15 and the Lord said, the seed of the woman is going to bruise the head of the seed of the serpent. So we are told about this seed. You come to Abraham and um, the Messiah is going to come from Abraham's seed. And the Abrahamic covenant 
uh, was reconfirmed by God to Isaac, that they would be a great nation, that he would bless that nation, that he would bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. Um, and you think about it, God's covenant relationship uh, is not with the Arab people who descended from Abraham through Ishmael, but with the Hebrew people who descended uh, through uh, Abraham to Isaac, uh, to Jacob, and then to those 12 tribes. The promises God made to Abraham were unconditional. Um, The covenant sign was given to Abraham, and that covenant sign was circumcision. The Abrahamic covenant began with the promise of a land. God said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a home. And when I give you a home, I am going to make you a nation. Um, Abraham was counted righteous because of his faith. uh, And positionally, he became the channel through whom spiritual blessings would fall and even uh, be passed on to um, us. Built into the Abrahamic covenant was the promise of protection for a chosen people in a hostile world. Let me say this, the nation of Israel is the only nation on earth in which God has entered into a treaty with them. There is no other nation on earth. God hasn't said to America, hey, you know, I'm going I'm to make a great nation out of you. He hasn't said that to Britain. He didn't say it to Babylon, to Persia, to Assyria, um, to, the, to Rome, to Greece. He made that covenant with the Hebrew people, with Israel. And here's the thing. Satan has always hated the Hebrew people from the very start of the history. And, and you, you need to understand this. You know, why are um, they such a hated people? Why... Um, did Hitler, you know, try and exterminate them to get rid of them, killing six million during the Holocaust? Um, if Satan can get rid of the Jewish people, Satan can make God out to be a liar, because God has made a covenant, an unconditional covenant, an eternal covenant with a people. Um, and if Satan can get rid of that, then he's made God out to be a liar. When you think of how small um, that nation is in the Middle East, uh, it is surrounded by Arab nations which are vastly bigger than Israel. But yet the world's attention is focused on Israel. Um, We ignore the fact that even Arab people have committed atrocities against their own people. There's no marching in the streets then. Um, You know, Bashar Assad has, has, has killed thousands and thousands and thousands of his own people. Um, you know, when you look at people in the Arab nations turn around saying about human rights, it's almost comical. But God is still working. There are people in Gaza coming to know Christ as their Savior. Um, the Lord is doing an incredible work. Uh, and look, we don't, we're not standing to say, look, um, Israel is, you know, they're perfectly fine in doing what they're doing. And um, I understand what their aim is, is to get get rid of Hamas. I understand that. Um, But nobody wants the loss of innocent lives. Um, And that is the, you know, the the horror of what's going on in the world today. But it's incredible that out of all of those Arab nations, the most amount of 
human rights violations are brought against the nation of Israel. It's the only democracy in the Middle East. What, what absolutely makes me laugh is when you have people marching through London with banners saying queers for um, Palestine or queers for trans people for Hamas. If you're a trans person in Israel, you are protected. If you're a trans person in Gaza, um, you're not going to last very long. Uh, I don't think people quite understand that. I'm getting off the point a bit. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm saying all of that to say this. God has made a covenant with Israel. Uh, and I think that is one people that has been at the center of attention for quite some time when it comes to world of, uh, affairs and world events. Um, it's important that we take the covenants of Scripture. Literally, God means what he says and says what he means. So he said to Abraham, you will have a territory. You will have a piece of land. You will have descendants to fill that land. And as of yet, the land that God promised Abraham from the Euphrates to the Nile has not been had yet. Israel have never had that amount of land. They didn't have that amount of land during the time of Abraham. They didn't have that amount of land during the time of Joshua. They didn't have that amount of land during the time of David and Solomon. They didn't have that amount of land, um, you know, after 1948. They, they haven't had that amount of land yet. But God has promised them land from the Euphrates to the Nile. That was in an unconditional, literal, eternal covenant. Now, we know as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that that land will be given to them, not taken by force during this period, but that land will be given to them during the millennial reign of Christ. And that's why it's important. That's why I'm trying to say all of this to get to my point. I know I'm taking a long time to get to a point. But we have to have this understanding that God has a purpose. That's why he's made um, these covenants with Abraham. Then we have the Mosaic Covenant. Uh, and in the Mosaic Covenant, here we are given the law. And even though the law was a temporary modification of the Abrahamic Covenant, it contains the most remarkable legal code ever held by an ancient people. Um, the moral laws are universal in application. Um, when you think about it, it's still not right today to kill, to steal, to lie, to commit adultery, to covet. Uh, the Lord as a system and as a way of life and as a religious entity was given to the nation of Israel. Um, attempts have been made today, you know, where a lot of people in the church will say, right, well, we have to keep the dietary law and we have to keep the Ten Commandments and we, have to, we can't keep it. We, we can't do it. Um, it is impossible to keep the law. Um, even the, the, the Ten Commandments, they're alone the 613 separate commandments that uh, the law contains. But it covered all aspects of life. Uh, it, 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 it contained matters of a personal nature where it came to marriage, to sex, to hygiene, to diet. It contained matters of a public and political nature, finance, welfare, government, political alliances. The laws were, were simple. And they were comprehensive, and they were just. And it covered Israel's national life, both as a pilgrim in the wilderness and when they would get to um, the land. 
And again, there was no, no prison set up because uh, the way in which God had given the law uh, was perfect. If a crime was committed, um, then you pay for that crime depending on its severity. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If you killed somebody, then the family had every right then to take um, um, the justice out and um, you were put to death. Um, so there's no need for any prisons. The, the, we, we looked at during the Feast of First Fruits about the, the harvest and the provision made for the widows and the orphans and the foreigners. You know, so there was a, a welfare system set up whereby the Lord took care of those who were in need. Um, and so if the, um, um, the, the if the I can't remember the words that I'm looking for now. The, the sign of the covenant, um, of the Abrahamic covenant, was um, circumcision. Then the, um, the sign of the um, Mosaic covenant was the Sabbath. That was a day for um, the Jewish people. The Sabbath was related to the nation of Israel, not to the church. You will be amazed at how many Christians will refer to Sunday as the Sabbath. Sunday's not the Sabbath. Saturday's the Sabbath. Um, Sunday is the Lord's Day. Sunday is the first day of the week. And we see that in Christ's resurrection. Acts 20 and verse 7, it says, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech at midnight. 1 Corinthians 16, 12. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when our come. The Sabbath was a sign to the Jewish people, and it was to give them rest. Our rest is not a physical rest. Our rest as the church is a spiritual rest. Our rest is in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and not in a day, Saturday. So the law, um, the, the Mosaic Covenant and the law, served as a spiritual function in Israel. For us, we know that the Lord is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And then you have the land covenant. In Deuteronomy 27, and this, again, spells out the condition under which Israel would be permitted to occupy the promised land. And again, this was an addition to the Mosaic Covenant and an addition to the Abrahamic Covenant. Um, so they were um, not only given um, the land, they were also told um, how to treat that land and what to do with that land and they were to make the land rest on every seven years they were to give the land rest but they didn't do that that's why they went into captivity for 70 years because for 490 years they didn't obey the land sabbath which is why the lord said okay if you are not going to obey my law you'll go into captivity for 70 years and i'll get the 70 years back that the land deserves so the land covenant ended with a, a glowing prophecy of, um, eventual, of Israel's eventual repentance, regathering, spiritual renewal, and exaltation to a place of royal power over the nation. So the Mosaic Covenant was the law. The Land Covenant was that, the land. And then the Davidic Covenant. Um, the Davidic Covenant was about the throne. Uh, and this was a covenant drawn up with David. And the Lord said to David that he would have a dynasty that would never end. And that dynasty uh, would never end until exhausted itself in the person of the Messiah. Um, and you see God 
keeps narrowing down the promise. In Genesis, it was the seed, and that was quite broad, the seed of the woman. Then it was the seed of Abraham. Then it was the seed of Isaac. Then of Jacob, and then the tribe of Judah, and then David. David, it would be your line that the Messiah would come from. Uh, So the Davidic covenant made clear that the Messiah would be God's son. Um, The Davidic covenant is conditional and unconditional. It was unconditional in the fact that David's son would be the Messiah, and it was conditional in the fact that misbehavior on David's part would result in descendants um, not being a part of that line. And we see that in um, the, the, the line of Jesus Christ. Uh, As you trace Christ's line in the book of Matthew through Joseph, he comes through Jeconiah, uh, where Jeconiah, it was said that nobody would sit on the throne after Jeconiah. But if you go to Luke and trace Christ's line back through Mary, then um, she is from another son of um, David, Nathan. And I think um, we were, Andrew and I were looking at this the other day, both Solomon and Nathan were sons of Bathsheba. Um, so Mary traces her line back to David through an uncursed line. Um, so God has another line. In his, and I, and I'm, I'm saying all of that to say this. God is a God of order. Okay, so, so God is not like just kind of made stuff up as he's gone along. God has, has clearly said, right, I am going to make a nation. The purpose of the Jewish nation was to be a light to the Gentiles. The relationship that they had with God uh, was meant to be a light to a Gentile world who were busy worshipping all host of things, who were busy sacrificing their children to to Chemosh, and they were busy performing all kinds of sexual debauchery in in celebration of Ashtaroth and uh, and Ishtar. um, So God is simply showing that he is a God of order. And then there's one final covenant, and this is the new covenant. Um, And in many ways, people say that this is uh, the greatest covenant of them all. It was originally made with the house of Israel, but we know when we come around the Lord's table that the Lord's table says this this is the new covenant. The new covenant was originally made with the Hebrew people in a day of national apostasy when the Babylonian captivity was already on the horizon. But it anticipates both comings of Christ. It anticipates his first coming and his second coming. Um, So, I know that was a lot of information tonight and I know we kind of didn't really get very far, but I've, I've said all of that to say this. That's what God has done. God has made a covenant with a nation called Israel. And that covenant is unconditional. So it doesn't matter what they do. Listen, Israel has rejected the Messiah and Israel are not saved today. Paul said this, and we we, we looked at this last week, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. Um, Now, today, you are either lost or you are saved. But that doesn't mean that the church has replaced Israel. Remember what I said right at the beginning. The Bible is all about the coming kingdom. Next time, we're going to look at what Christ would do. When Christ came, what did Christ come preaching? What did Christ preach? What was his message? The 
kingdom. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God. And even the disciples, before the Lord Jesus Christ ascended, said, will you at this time restore the kingdom? Israel has been promised a kingdom. Israel has been promised a land. Israel has had a covenant made with them, and that covenant, those promises, have yet to be fulfilled. The people who say, oh yeah, well the church has replaced Israel now. You have made God to be a liar and somebody who hasn't got a clue what he's doing. Ah, oh, yeah, but the thing is, you can, make the, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say if you allegorize everything. But these covenants are literal. You know, it's not um, rocket science to know that God made a covenant with the Jewish people. Yes, they need to be saved today. And one day, as a nation, they will be saved. But we'll look at that in, in a few weeks' time when we come to the autumn feasts. So that's what God has done. Next week, we look at what Christ would do and how this gap relates to us now as the church and what we should be doing with that information. But I, I've kind of said all of that today just to say this. God is a God of order. God is a God of purpose. God has a plan. Um, he started with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden uh, with the seed of the woman. Then he made a covenant with Abraham to say, look, the seed would now come from Abraham's line. Was that Ishmael or Isaac? He narrowed it down then to say it would come through Isaac, through Jacob, through Judah. And then when he came to David, he said, right, the Messiah is going to come from you, David. And he'll be uh, from the royal line of David. Um, so that's what God did Next week, we look at what Christ would do, and then um, we can look at what, how that relates to us as believers. I know this was slightly different. I know it was more like a Bible study. I know um, it, it's a lot of information to take on and to take in. If, if you want more detail than this, I did a whole series on the millennial kingdom, and I go through the covenants in a bit more detail in that. Um, if you want to look at that, you can, we talk about dispensations there as well. So you, you need to have an understanding of what is happening and what God did and, and how this relates. Otherwise, we will misinterpret the Bible. We'll misinterpret what's going on in the world today. And we will make a mess of things. And that's why you have, um, you know, um, different things like amillennialism and Calvinism and, and a, a whole host of, of stuff that is, is not in the Word of God the Word of God is simple. Um, man complicates it and tries to intellectualize it. And um, so I just, we, we need to understand that God has made a covenant with a nation called Israel, with the Jewish people, and that covenant is literal and eternal. And some of those promises that he made to Israel have not yet come to pass. Now then, Israel today still needs to be saved, just like any lost person needs to be saved. Okay, and, and we need to keep that in mind as well. So that's what God did. He made a covenant with Israel, and that covenant still stands today. They're not walking with the Lord just like back in, in the days when they were taken into captivity. They are very secular. Um, you will know from the ministries that we support and people that you speak to, they do not know their Bible. Um, we were in, in Jerusalem a, a couple of years ago, 
and uh, um, we were in the Temple Institute, and, uh, and a woman was, was given a presentation, and David Moore made a comment about the fact that the Messiah will build the Millennial Temple, and he took it to a passage in Zechariah, and she says, ah, oh, that's your Christian doctrine. It's like Zechariah's Old Testament. You know, that's, if anything, you know, that's, that's in, I don't want to say you were Bible, but you understand what I'm saying. Um, so they don't know this scripture. Um, and, and we do need to pray for the situation in the Middle East. We do need to pray um, for the peace of Jerusalem. We do need to pray um, that, you know, innocent lives um, are not lost. Because God takes no pleasure in the death of anybody. Um, but I am thankful that I've heard of people coming to know the Lord. Um, and if there's a revival in Gaza, who knows um, what could happen next. So just keep praying for the situation. But again, we need to understand what God has done. He's made a covenant with the people. That covenant is literal and it is eternal. And for the most part, it's an conditional, which means no matter what Israel does, God's word still stands. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this day, for this time together, for this opportunity to come around your word. Lord, I just prayed you would help us as we study your word um, to take comfort from the fact that even with uh, all the wickedness that's going on in the world today, you still have a plan and a purpose for this world. You have a plan and a purpose for us as you were church. You have a plan and a purpose uh, for Israel as you were covenant people, Lord. But we just pray um, for the situation in Israel. We pray for every life um, that is lost, for the, for the lives uh, of the innocent. And Lord, even for uh, those who are, are wicked, we pray that they would come to know Christ as their personal Savior, Lord. And we just ask that you would uh, continue to help us uh, to be diligent in, in praying for those in need, Lord, and that you would help us to not lose heart and to not be um, discouraged and despondent um, with what's going on in the world, that we would keep our eyes fixed firmly on the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that you have a plan and purpose for this world. Uh, and that plan and purpose is indeed revealed in the Word of God. So, Father, we pray that you'd help us, bless us, and just uh, uh, enable us to, uh, to study um, so that we might show ourselves approved and that we might take comfort from your word. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's stand and sing our last hymn together. There it is, come in a day, and we'll stand as we sing. And then, doing um, the last verse, I wonder if Len wouldn't mind making his way forward to the pulpit and closing us out in a word of prayer. Thank you.
Okay, let's pray. Well, Lord and Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the truths we have heard here this evening. We are thankful for this church and pastor that stands upon that truth, upon this very word that we hold within our hands. And we praise you for it, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for all that you show us and teach us. And pray that we take it forward in our, and use it in our lives and through into the week. But we thank you, Lord, that you are a God of perfect order and you haven't turned your back on a nation, on you a nation. You haven't turned your back on your people and you haven't turned your back on us, Lord. We have seen what man can do when they try to do things in their own strength. If they were only to turn to this precious, precious word, Lord, I'm sure this world would be a better place. So, Lord, we do pray if there is one here this evening, having listened to this message, that they will take on board these truths and accept they are truth and accept you into their life. For I know it changed my life by accepting that truth. At this special time that you are coming up, Lord, I just pray that many will hear the truth from this pulpit. Help us, Lord, to share this truth with others inside and outside of the church especially now. So we pray now, Lord, and give thanks for this day, for all that we have heard, done, and sung here, the wonderful hymns we've heard this evening. Part us with thy blessing, Lord, and be with us throughout this week now, Lord, for help us to be seven-day-a-week Christians, not just one-day-a-week Christians, Lord. And we thank you for the blessings, Lord, that you pour out upon us. In Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen. <laughs>